of any announcements that uh, need to be made. A lot of material uh, this morning, and so my plan is just I'm going to read a text and we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to get to it. I'm not sure that we're going to be able to uh, finish what I have uh, today, but uh, I want to be able to take whatever time is needed uh, to be able to work through this discussion. Now, again, for any who may be visiting with us, we are in this class doing a, a series on Christian ethics or principles of conduct or answering the question uh, of Francis Schaeffer years ago, how should we then live in light of our redemption, in light of what God has done in us and for us, in light of what God has revealed, in light of who God is and we are, uh, how do we live and how do we face uh, the various challenges that are ours in this particular generation? But the text I'm going to read is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, a text you probably have memorized, uh, whether you realize it or not. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Oh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for uh, a Lord's Day morning. We thank you, Father, that we can gather in the name of our risen Savior, that we can come clothed in his righteousness, knowing that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any of us boast. And so, Father, we would boast in the cross, we would boast in our risen Savior, we would boast in our union with him, and come and boldly ask, Lord, that from the beginning until the end of the day, that you would draw near and crown our efforts and bless them as we seek your face, as we desire to be fed by your word and to see your word come with sanctifying and saving power. We ask these things because Jesus has died, has risen, and intercedes for us. Amen. Uh, I began last Lord's Day's uh, ministry in the morning uh, by talking a little bit about time travel. And lo and behold, I want to talk just a little bit more about time travel. I asked last week if you could go anywhere in time, in any place, anywhere at any time, where would you go, where would you want to go, and, and, and why? All right, now I'm going to ask another time travel question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever thought... Is there somebody from the past that you would like to bring into the present? You know, uh, Benjamin Franklin with his interest in technology, uh, the Wright brothers so they could see man land on the moon, or uh, Frederick Douglass from the Civil War era to see uh, certain things that have transpired, whoever it might be, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, that you would like them to come forward and to see the present. So who would you want to bring and, and, and why? What would you want to show them? What is it that you think might be amazing to them, wonderful perhaps, or inexplicable, perplexing, and perhaps even tragic to say, you see what's happened? Could you believe that this has happened to your nation or to your country? And what it would do is give you a fresh perspective, wouldn't it, to bring somebody from the past into the present because we are so accustomed to everything really around about us. We, we are accustomed to the technology. It doesn't marvel us. We don't marvel that we can sit in a chair 35,000 feet in the sky going five or 600 miles an hour. It's 
it's inconvenient, it's boring, or, uh, or, you know, or whatever. We don't marvel over things like that. We get frustrated if our phone doesn't uh, connect to the internet in time. We don't get enough megabytes or you know, whatever the case might be. We're used to things, but we're also used to certain things morally and philosophically. It's the age in, in which we live. It's just the way that things are. But there are things that have changed in our lifetime. So who would you like to bring from the past? What if you could bring your younger self, your teenage self, your childhood self into the present? And what would we be struck by that we now have become accustomed to? You know, we've all suffered, I think, from one degree or another, the, the situation which was laid out in the parable of the frog in the kettle, you know, the story, the temperature is slowly raised and the, the frog becomes accustomed as things get warmer and warmer until eventually it boils to death. It doesn't have the sense to jump out because had he gone into the hot water, uh, he would have jumped out immediately. You, you, know, you know the story. So as we think about what we're going to talk about today, how different this discussion is than a discussion that would have been had 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, certainly 100 or 200 years ago. Uh, if you gathered in a Christian church and said, we want to discuss today the matters of gender and sexuality and address the question, what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman, that discussion would take place very differently than it does today. Now, while the discussion in and out of the church about masculinity and femininity is certainly not new. Puritans wrote books about masculinity and femininity. These things are certainly not, uh, not new, but they have taken on a new dynamic in recent years and really, in some senses, over what we could call the last few days or the last few weeks or the last few months, it is rapidly changing before our eyes. And if you were to look at films and books and articles, TV shows, innumerable podcasts and lectures that are out there addressing this issue, you could be really overwhelmed. So we're struggling as a society to be able to answer the question, is there such a thing as gender? Are male and female simply biological realities, or are they even biological realities? The fact that you're born a certain way and have, to speak discreetly, certain plumbing uh, in your body does not necessarily anymore mean that this is a boy or that this is a girl. You used to be able to say, just peek underneath the skirt and you'll be able to tell, to discern whether one is a male or female. We'd still do that with animals, but we're getting to the place where you can no longer do it. You can do it with a dog, you can do it with a cat, and with a hamster, but you can no longer do it with a boy or a girl, at least as some people are, are pressing the issue. Is there something different about being a woman and being feminine? Is there a difference between being a male and being a man or being masculine? And if so, what are the criteria that determine such things? So that you could look perhaps at somebody and say that biologically he's a male, but is he really a man? Some people have asked that question. Biologically, she is a woman, but she conducts herself as though she is a man. And what they're saying is, and this is the argument 
that is even being made in some Christian circles that this is the case. And so you're asking the question, is there such a thing as a biologically male body, but not a, a male soul? Can somebody have a male body and a female soul, or a female body and a male soul? And if so, how do you even know? What's the difference between the two? And then if we answer those questions, we're going to ask, are these answers the same in every country and in every age? That is, what does it mean to be masculine in the 1500s versus to be masculine now? What does it mean to be masculine in England as opposed to masculine in America? These kinds of questions are the sorts of things we need as God's people to be able to think through and to be able to answer. Now, we all recognize, right, we're living at a time when among some, not, not, not among all, this is not, it can feel like consensus, cultural consensus, but we're not quite there yet. I think we're getting there. But for many, the inability to even define what it means to be a man and a woman and to divorce that discussion from biological realities has shocked and perplexed many of us. How many of you thought that we would be there? I mean, in your wildest dreams, you know, that, I mean, if somebody even brought it up, Trenda, could you have imagined that we would be having? Ruth, could you have imagined having these discussions uh, that this would, and that it would become among some dogma and be defended with great ferocity? And so some are shocked and perplexed. We could add other modifiers, grieved and angered, as we consider these things. Now, it's worth discussing, and I, I thought about doing this today, and I don't know that I want to do this today in light of uh, all, so much of what I want to get at today, but it's worth discussing how did we get here? So we're here this did not drop in as an alien invasion. You know, it didn't just parachute out of the sky and say, yesterday we were free. And remember the movie Red Dawn? Some of you guys remember Red Dawn, you know? And one day you're there and you're free. And the next day, you know, communist soldiers are dropping out of the sky. And, and in one day, everything's different. We didn't just wake up to this. It may feel like we did, but this happened, again, the frog in the kettle. It happened incrementally. How did we get here? And I think it's worth asking the question for many of us in the Christian community, how did we as churches lose this ground? How did we lose a cultural grip and a, a moral grip on our society? The society used to care what the church, however you want to define that, Catholic or Protestant, there was a time that it cared what we said and, and what we thought. There was a time when culture, Hollywood, even was afraid of offending what we could call us. There was a time when there was a common consensus. You could ask anyone, boy, girl, male, female, anywhere in our country, what's a man and what's a woman? And you would get a fairly common, uniform answer. How did we as a church become so unprepared to answer the questions and to confront the issues early on? Were we unprepared for the way the assault came? I think these are questions worth 
uh, asking. I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers. But how did we lose the consensus? And, and how did the other side, I say, seemingly gain the upper hand overnight? Again, it wasn't overnight. It was decades of indoctrination. And how did they do that in schools and film and books and, and other things emotionally and legally? How did all of these things uh, play out? Now, I say seemingly in regard to the other, again, I'm going to use this language, the other side, seemingly gain the upper hand. I say seemingly because there is at least for now a great gulf between what we might call the everyday American and those who are pushing an agenda, those who do have a plan those in academia and uh, those who greenlight films and television and decide what's going to be on the news, et cetera. Now, I bring this out now in our studies because over the last few weeks, Pastor Charlie has been dealing with the issue of marriage and he's touched on sexuality and male and female to some degree uh, in marriage and sexuality and even sexual sin. And I thought, well, now might be the best time to deal with issues of gender, sexuality, homosexuality, and transgenderism. Because we as a church need to be able to be prepared to give a reason for why we hold to what we do when all around we're simply being shouted down as bigots and uh, hateful and, and all of the rest. How do we present the truth in this generation and in some cases to our perhaps to our brothers or sisters or sons or daughters, uh, our family members, our aunts and uncles who may be caught up in, in all of this. Now, for the sake of the discussion today, I want to focus our attention on what it means to be a man, to be a male. Now, if you want to have some to take the next two years out of your life, Google the crisis of masculinity and then read all the, art, the two, three, four million articles that are going to come up for you to be able to read uh, the various things that are brought out there. The amount of discussion on these issues, the insecurity of, of, of the male and the uncertainty about what our calling is in this world is being dealt with in and out of the church. Again, the amount of material is staggering. Questions are being asked, are men inherently bad? Are all the problems in the world due to simply men being men? This, the genetic and toxic effects of testosterone. Are we going to eventually have people argue that what we need are testosterone blockers early on so that men will no longer be aggressive or violent. And I'm sure, again, the more, and it's going to be virtually every week, there's some new story of violence uh, on the part of some man out there somewhere, almost always a man. There are many books, again, being written about the crisis of masculinity, the effects of fatherless homes, the delayed adolescence of young men, young men feeling adrift, unsatisfied, unmotivated, depressed about the future, unsure of who and what they are intended to be. One recent article, this is one of the, I, I Googled afresh, the crisis of masculinity. One of the first articles began with these words, what's going on with men? 
It's a strange question, but it's one people are asking more and more, and for good reasons. Whether you look at education or the labor market or addiction rates or suicide attempts, it's not a pretty picture for men, especially working class men. They go on to speak of how 75% of the suicides in our country are men, male. The vast majority of prisoners are men. And despite all of the squawking that's gone on about the disparity between um, uh, male and female in the workplace in regard to earnings, right now women are outperforming men. They're getting their degrees more. They are beginning to earn more than their counterparts, their husbands, their romantic partners, etc., at least according to some of the statistics that are out there. And because fewer women want to marry and fewer women want to have children, it affects what was in days gone by the good pressure upon a man to find a wife, and if he wanted to be able to have sex with her, he needed to be able to do so in the bonds of marriage, and that would produce children, and that, in days past, they said it forced a man to grow up, forced a man to have responsibility. As our boys are growing, and again, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a man in case anybody can't see. <laughs> I have a son, and I have a grandson. And uh, I'm trying to think, do we have anybody that's just girl, girl dads? I think most of our dads, have, okay, all right, that's all right, Mike. Um, I was for years just a girl dad, but, uh, uh, but if we have sons... I think certainly we're invested in this, particularly if our sons are, are young. They're, they're little. They're growing up. The day's going to come when the power of raging hormones, the fears that we have of the enslavement to pornography, the almost just throw up your hands and give up, it's going to happen. The internal insecurity coupled with new physical strength, unsure how to relate to the opposite sex and as one who has spoken at singles conferences, uh, it appears that guys, at least up into their 30s, are having trouble addressing the opposite sex. Trouble relating to parents, trouble relating to peers, crisis of friendship among men, and, and on and on we can go. Why are so many men, even in the church, feeling adrift, unmoored? The ministries of men like Mark Driscoll, some of you may not know who Mark Driscoll is, um, but he was a pastor in Seattle for years and started a, a congregation that grew to be quite large. He had national and international uh, influence, and it was largely predicated upon challenging men to be men. And that resonated. Guys sitting at home playing video games, his evening plans were simply, again, video games and masturbation. And he said, grow up, be a man, get a job, find a wife, buy a home, get a business, you know, whatever it is. And some men, many men, responded to that and needed something like that, a voice like that uh, in the church. Others are calling men because we are, men are feeling adrift get back in touch with our ancient selves, our caveman selves, have a caveman diet, 
Become warriors, go out in the woods, paint your face, take off your shirt, eat a deer raw, whatever it is. There's a lot of focus now on bodily strength and others on not just a form of dominion in the home, but domination in the home. Some men in churches demanding their wives actually call them Lord. You know, taking the language of Sarah and Abraham. And if I had to put a guy on the couch and deal with them on that, I'd say they're dealing with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy and anger and frustration as the world we feel has villainized us as men rather than celebrated who and what we are. Uh, is this resonating? Is this sounding at all like? So there's a lot that we could say. And, uh, but again, I trust that what I'm saying to some degree resonates both male and female. Now, I began by reading Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created Adam and Eve. One male and one female. Jesus reiterates this basic historical and biological fact in the gospel. So if anybody wants to say, Jesus never addressed gender. Yes, he did. Jesus never addressed sexuality. Yes, he did. He addressed these things. So the question we're going to focus on today and, and our next time together, is there a difference between being a male and being a man, between being biologically male and internally masculine. You see, this is behind the transgender argument, which we will attempt to discuss in a few weeks' time. When we discuss transgenderism, we'll see that it is, a, it is fascinating that there is a focus a time on the biological to try to match the internal rather than trying to get the internal to match the biological. And the thought for some, uh, 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 for, for instance, a girl who believes that she has a masculine soul, that if you add a body part, or if you're a male and you believe you have a female soul, take away a body part or two, and that that's going to transform them. Which is really interesting because the basic argument, if you have to change the biology, then the argument is, well, the biology doesn't define who you are, except apparently when you want to transition. So that's part of the madness of the age in which we live. So I want to focus here upon this idea of what does it mean to be a man. And in this, I'm going to go with, with more than the biological, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question. I, I, I've been going through a book by a woman, Nancy Piercy, a book called The Toxic War on Masculinity. So that's a provocative title. And she asks a question, and I want us to, to discuss this. I, I, that's a lot of intro here this morning. If I said to you, if we were to have a funeral for one of our members, our male members, and I were to say at the beginning, he was a good man. He defined what it means to be a good 
man. What qualities would come to your mind when I say a good man? Okay. All right. Provided. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that. He's a provider. What else? I was honest. All right. So we said godly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This guy's going to cover a lot of things here. Hopefully, not writing is not going to be one of them. What's that? Well, that's an interesting, yeah, that's a, the, are you really a man if you're not a theist? Can you really be a man? Can you really be certainly what God has made you to be, all that he's made you to be? That's a good, good question. All right, so a provider, honest, godly, servant. a servant, okay. You can, that's going to get some people's hackles up. <laughs> no, we're not. Michael? Loving. Loving. All right, good man is loving. What else is a good man? Protector. What's that? Protector. A protector, okay, and then? Faithful. Faithful, all right. Protector. Faithful. Merciful. Woo, sacrificially, I'm just going to put SR. <laughs> All right, he's a good man. What else was he? What, what, what marked him? Courageous. He was courageous. And courage. Fruitful. Fruitful, what do you mean by that? Truthful. Tru- sorry, <laughs> truthful. All right, well, we already had, on- did you give honest? No, I didn't give honest. Oh, okay. Oh, a good man is gentle. Jesus is gentle, isn't he? So we're saying good man converted. Well, that's what you're that's what you're saying. I mean, I did ask, that's a guy in the church. All right, yeah, integrity. I think maybe a lot of these are coming in simple. Carolyn? I was thinking principled. He's principled. I agree with that. We have a really hard time saying if a guy's unprincipled that he was a good man. Yeah, he's able to confess his sin. He's able to be, he's not so proud that he's, he repents. He repents. He's a leader. All right, he's, he, he shows leadership. You know, he's not what we would call a wimp, right? He's humble. He's humble. Wow, all right, good stuff. All right. Anybody else have a burnt gym? <laughs> All right. That's a DOD, right? Yeah, when he has to be. All right, and how do you mean that? In all of those experiences. All right, so when I did the, if you did the, so I had a friend named Johnny Faree. Some of you guys know who Johnny was. Johnny. Um, Never walked, couldn't lift anything up. His body was all shriveled. But was, was he strong? Oh, man. Yeah, he had a lot of strength. So I think that strength is part of this. 
It's really interesting. We're going to see sometimes in the scriptures where there's a contrast between men and women, how some of these things come across. All right. So this is a question, again, asked in that book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. What does it mean to be a good man? Now, when I, if I said to you, what does it mean to be a manly man? <laughs> are, there, are there any of these things that would fall off? Are there any of these that you would minimize? When I say a manly man or a man's man. Okay. All right. I, I appreciate that. I don't know. I'm, I'm really am curious for, for you to think through this. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I, to a degree, but if I said to you, if I said to you, if, if we were having a discussion about something, other people heard, and I said to you, so I wouldn't say this to you, certainly not publicly. <laughs> Emery, you need to man up. <laughs> Would you think to yourself that I'm calling you to be godly, a servant, merciful, or would you think more in terms of protector, courage, Dangerous on demand, you know, leadership. Responsibility. Responsibility. I, think, I think it just depends when, when you say that if you're talking more in a worldly concept or, or a Christian concept. But even in a Christian concept, Brian, wouldn't we say to some people, like, you say you got a guy who's just kind of adrift out there and, and he's not providing for his, he just sits home and plays video games and, You'd say, hey, look, brother, look, I, I, I want to encourage you to read your Bible and go to church and go to prayer meeting and, and pray and, and witness and fight your sin. But I also want to encourage you to get up off your backside, show some courage, face the world, fight your dragon. You know what I mean? Is, 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 that, is that wrong? Is this, or is there, is there, do you understand these we're trying to get at with this? That we are saying, all right, let me ask you this. How many of these things are generically human and Christian? So all of these could be true of a woman in certain contexts? Interesting. So what then is distinctly male? Because he made them male and female. All right. I appreciate these answers. I, I think you, you know. I, I think you all are thinking well in 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 this. Views of manhood and masculinity are often shaped by time and culture. If I were really high-tech and savvy, I would have put together this PowerPoint. I've had in my head this PowerPoint uh, of showing all these different kinds of men. You know, you could have D Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and say, which one of these is a man? Well, they both are. I could show you some guy in drag, and I'd say, is that a man or a woman? you say, well, it's a man pretending to be a woman. But you still say it's a man. I could show you a heavy guy, a little guy. I could show you a guy four and a half feet tall, and he's at his full height. And a guy seven to eight feet tall. And you say, man, 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 man. 
a flabby guy and a strong guy, a paralyzed guy and a decathlete. And they're all, they're all, they're all men, but in, in some ways and in different times in our society and even in my lifetime, kind of, it, it has kind of morphed and shaped and certain things come in and out about what it means to be masculine. There was, there was a time when the epitome of a man was the strong, silent type. He came home from work, took his paper, and he sat by himself, got served, and went to bed. He didn't play with the kids. He wasn't involved with the kids. He didn't catechize kids. He didn't lead family worship. He didn't go on date nights with his wife. He didn't, you know, he was a man. He's a man's man. And those things then get shaped. No, no, these other aspects need to be brought in. And, and again, I think we're, we're, we're at some kind of a, a culture is really debating this again right now, even, even Christian culture. Now, what we brought out here is very interesting, what you just said a moment ago. And that is that most of what is given, most of the commands in the Bible are given generically. Love your neighbor as yourself, men and women, boys and girls, teens and elderly. Love your neighbor as yourself, rich and poor, all people in all times. There are times when the Bible differentiates. So that if I were to do a series in, uh, in, through Timothy and I were to get to that point where Paul says, warn those who are rich. And I said to you guys, all right, this Sunday I'm going to give a word of warning to those who are rich. How many of you would think I'm talking to you? Do you want to raise your hand? I see, see very humbly some of us say, well, kind of all of us. But, you know, but some of us would go, well, that's not really about me. I don't have tons of discretionary money like like some people do. If I said, I'm going to be preaching a message to the poor. How many of you would come with a special sense, I can't wait to hear what he has to say because that's me. If I said, I'm going to do some messages to the slave. Are, there, are slaves directly addressed in the scriptures? Are masters directly addressed in scripture? That's, that's a class. How many of you own servants? Any of you own a slave? Nobody here? All right, so you might think to yourself, well, that's not really addressing me. Maybe we can make some interesting application, but that's not me. Sometimes the Bible addresses the young. Young people, dress yourselves in humility. Sometimes the Bible addresses old people. How many of you think I'm talking about you <laughs> when I say that? I didn't used to think that was me. Right? Sometimes it addresses us in family roles. Sometimes the Bible says, now you fathers. And when it says that, I don't know, wives, how do you listen to that? Do you just listen to that? So I want to know how to pray. But you're probably not thinking, well, this is not my primary duty. He's not talking really to me. He's talking to my male counterpart. Mothers. Sometimes it addresses children. Sometimes it says wives. Sometimes it says husbands. Sometimes it says rulers. Sometimes it says citizens. But let's talk about this 
So again, generic, most of it's generic. Sometimes, and as I went through all of that, you're probably thinking only of a few texts. There's a few texts addressed to wives. There's a few texts addressed directly to children. A few texts directly addressed to citizens. A few, most all of it is just generic. But sometimes exclusively in our gender. And sometimes specifically but not exclusively. Do you see the difference? Sometimes exclusively men. Sometimes specifically, but not exclusively, men. Now, we're going to deal with this according to God's word, right? Because we're Christians. This is our foundations or our principles of conduct. This is a class taught in a Christian church by a pastor trying to direct us into God's word. I'm not going to be able to answer every societal question. But we go to God's law, Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. When God specifically made men as men, not just people, but specifically as males, was there anything different about them beyond their biology? That is that Eve would bear children in a way that Adam would not and could not. And the insane language again that some are trying to force on us, birthing person, chest feeders. There is at least this reality. There is this. But is there something beyond? Note how the curse came differently to the man and to the woman. To the woman, he said. And to the man, he said. What did the curse to the woman focus on? All right, so what, what, what's a broad term for that? Her, her curse came primarily... Domestically. In the matter of child motherhood. How was the man cursed? Economically. Right? In regard primarily to labor. He made them distinctly. Biologically. But when the curse comes, he curses them in regard to spheres of labor that, 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 that those are again this is where I would say specific but not exclusive well in one case it's exclusive women exclusively give birth that will never change men can't menstruate women who have been surgically altered to look like men can but men can't there's a biological difference, but there is something now introduced, some functional difference. You see that in the curse. God addresses the man differently than he does the woman. There's the generic death, the specific to the woman, the specific to the man. Now, let's get more internal. If you have the, your Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. 
And here the scripture says this. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all you do be done with love. That's the New King James. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Other translations say, be courageous, be strong. But the American Standard Version, what Al Martin would call the old 1901, says this, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. It's not language we use. Quit you like men means act like a man. In fact, the ESV Translates it that way. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And the King James is very similar. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit, quit ye like men. There is a word translated by some modern translations as courageous and brave. And by others as act like a man. Now, ladies, this is at the risk of offending you. I am going to allude to some scriptures. You can look these up. In Isaiah and in Jeremiah, when God describes people being afraid, he says, when the invading armies come, they're going to act like women. They're going to act like women. Hang on a second. So what does that mean? What he meant by that is they're going to be afraid. They're not going to be dangerous on demand. Now, some of them would be. You have your Jael's and others in scriptures, you know, who can smash ahead with the best of them. <laughs> um, but you have here this principle, act like a man. Now, okay, now, real quickly, who is that command given to in the church? Everybody. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? But the idea was that when Paul said, even to women, you need to act like a man, and said to children, you need to act like a man or you need to man up, that they understood that there was what we will call a distinctly, though not exclusively, but a distinctly masculine quality. So that when they heard the words, you need to act like a man. They understood it as some of our translators, even the New King James translators, said that has to do with principles of courage and bravery. So in the context, stand firm. Be strong. Also meant to be courageous and to be brave. Be brave. And so this gets into then what is the essence of masculinity? What is the focus of the role or the character of soul in regard to being a man? And so I'm going to end with this question, and we'll pick up here, God willing, next time. What is the essence of masculinity? Is it simply role-focused? I lead, you submit. That's role-focused. Or is it something more, something deeper? If you're raising a son, this is the question I want you to be thinking about, parents. 
So Michael and Stephanie, if you all were to have another child and it's going to be a masculine child, a male child, if he, if, if, are, are you going to be thinking, I got to think differently about raising Michael Jr. than I do Adley and Lily? Is that right? Or you say, no, 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 you just raise your children generically. If you're raising a son, are there ways in which you will raise him differently or understand him differently as he responds differently, emotes differently, whatever the case may be? Will you push him differently, exhort him differently? Then you will a girl. What does his masculinity, his maleness mean for his emotional shaping? How will you handle his fears and tears? With suppression and shame? What will it mean for him educationally? What will it mean for him vocationally? What does it mean for him socially and spiritually? Okay, those are some things I want us to be thinking about as we come back next time. So I hate to end on a cliffhanger, but uh, uh, hopefully this has been uh, helpful in, in this discussion. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's help as we think through these things with our Bibles open. Father, thank you for this time uh, to consider your world and the world in which you have placed us. Father, we do desire that we will be found faithful in our generation. We pray, living God, that we would serve you well, uh, that we would be salt and light, that we would be a means of grace and help. Father, that we would be guided and directed by your word illuminating our feet and our path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.